0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Something
2: is very wrong here. I do not believe it is in our best interest to assume she had drugs on her.
1: The curious case of WNBA powerhouse Brittany Griner. I will be demanding her release. Why her detainment in Russia on alleged drug smuggling charges could place her in the middle of an international game of chess. (laughs) Then we get to the center of the Haitian crisis and the aftermath of the president's assassination, civil uprising, and political warfare.
3: How can we make sure that this show feels like a show that's for everybody?
4: Oscar fever is in the air and revolt is on the ground. And I'm sharing all the pre-award show teas.
1: Then America's classroom conundrum and the extreme shortage of black male teachers. Why the deficit? We get to the bottom of it all. All that and more as the black news revolution starts right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm Naima Abdullahi. We begin with the ongoing international saga involving WNBA superstar and Olympic gold medalist Brittany Greiner. It's been well over a month since she was detained by Russian authorities for alleged drug smuggling at Moscow's international airport. Now, recent reports suggest she's in good shape, but more questions surface about whether the United States federal government is doing enough to secure her release. The curious case, of Brittany Griner is tonight's top story.
3: Brittany Griner is a United States citizen. She was a guest in Russia, and I will be demanding her release.
5: There's no doubt that her detention and then this continuation of the,
6: of the imprisonment is all to try to make her up a hostage and, and a part of this chess game.
1: Concerns are growing for Brittany Griner as the WNBA star is layered in the Russian-Ukraine crisis. Again, I can't speak to the specifics of this case, April. I certainly understand why you're asking, uh, but
6: our our focus right now on our uh, how we're going to bring an end to the
1: conflict is to support and boost up the Ukrainians. The two-time gold medalist pled not guilty to drug trafficking charges after customs officials in Russia claimed they found cannabis oil in her luggage.
7: The drug charge is very questionable in how much she was even carrying with her um, in her vape pen, how many cartridges that she had, um, and you know whether it was a large amount or whether it was a small amount. So we're still kind of left wondering what's really going on right now with her.
0: There's a lot going on in the world, there's a lot going on between us and Russia, but Brittany should not be swept up in that.
1: Back in the States, the WNBA All-Star is considered a groundbreaking athlete. Man, Brittany dunked.
2: Brittany Griner was one of the first women in the league who was really dunking. When you have someone like her, it just really creates that space that women need to get paid more, that women need to be respected more in the sport.
1: During her off-season, she rakes in more than triple her WNBA salary
7: in Russia. She's gone on seven years, and she's getting paid about a million dollars every time that she's she's been playing. A lot of athletes go over to get better opportunities.
1: Going overseas came at a cautionary cost, with ESPN reporting that other players made plans to leave following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We have to remember that she was arrested. She wasn't just
8: detained for questions. They legally arrested her, saying that she violated Russian law. That is a very different situation, save from a hostage situation.
1: The case has many weighing in on the odds against Brittany if she is found guilty. I am worried Brittany Griner, her multiple
8: identities as a woman, a black woman, a queer woman, She stands out. Putin is homophobic, it's no secret. He's made numerous public statements about it. He even got into a battle with Elton John um, because of their very, very homophobic laws in 2013.
1: Brittany Griner's legal team challenged her detention, but their appeal was denied, leaving many to wonder if
7: she will receive a fair trial. I really don't see the light at the end of the tunnel right now as much as i'd like to be optimistic we're just not in a in a good safe climate right now
1: Joining me for a deeper look at the measures to bring Brittany Griner back home to the States are international relations political scientist Nola Haynes and legal analyst Adrian Lawrence and retired WNBA star Dr. Chantelle Tremontier. Now, the biggest concern right now from the public is, will Brittany Griner be able to come home and whether or not she is a political prisoner? So let's talk about that. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Nola, do you want to chime in on that? Right now, the
8: situation with Brittany Griner is... They can potentially drag out this situation, at least for another year, because they can keep her detained for a year, up to a year. So she has another court appearance May 19th. So we will see if it will be a continuation, what will happen. But most likely, considering the backdrop of what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I just want to be realistic about
2: Russia. I don't know necessarily if Brittany Greiner will be able to come home anytime soon, because at this point in time, she's caught in the middle of a geopolitical conflict where we have Russia waging war on Ukraine and taunting the rest of the world. And we are in a very, very tumultuous period in time. And it happens such that Brittany Greiner is in Russia being detained. By virtue of our just circumstances and what's going on, it's hard not to say that she is not a political prisoner.
3: Here's the facts. The fact is, we don't know the facts. We don't know if Brittany is innocent or guilty of the charges being levied against her. Obviously, it, it, it's tough. But at the end of the day, um, you know, if she didn't do this, you know, all of all of you know the WNBA and former and current players are behind her. Um, if she didn't do this, and but the fact remains, if she did do this, if she's guilty of what they're accusing her of, then she's going to be over there for a while
8: so, because we are not finding out the information the way that we would in, in a more public and open system here, it's very difficult to speak to the specifics of her situation.
1: With Brittany being an openly queer Black woman, does her sexual orientation play a role in this situation?
2: Not only from my legal perspective, but from my knowledge and experience as someone who teaches diversity, equity and inclusion and studies how systems of oppression operate, I can tell you that you can't divorce Brittany Griner from her Blackness or her womanness or her queerness. These are things that she carries with her every day. And we can't act like the world doesn't see those things and is able to separate and divorce them from the individual Mm -hmm. that she is.
3: She's not only gay, but she's one of the most prominent gay women, gay Black women Mm -hmm. in the world. And, uh, you know, it is troubling. It's troubling to know that that she has so much against her right now. And you know, you, you just, there's no one that can put their, their, their feet in her shoes mm. um, and try to imagine what she's going through.
1: When we look at the accusation made, what is the likelihood or the chance that it could have been planted?
2: So we know that drugs could have been planted on Brittany Griner by virtue of the fact that Russia has a history of doing those things, you know, forget it. Even the U.S. has a history of doing those things when it comes to Black people. Uh, And we know that Russia also has this history. And so that is why I've maintained that I do not believe it is in our best interest to assume she had drugs on her, as opposed to, let's wait and hear from Brittany. And it's my understanding that she has entered a plea of not guilty, and so I want to be able to hear from her.
3: Article 228 in Russia uh, says, if you have six grams or less of narcotics if you're caught, then it's what we would consider in the United States a misdemeanor, it's called an administrative offense. If you have seven grams or more, then it's it's a criminal offense, Mm -hmm. and, So there have been plenty of times that it's on record, facts that Russian police have planted maybe a gram on someone to uh, cause it to be seven grams and now it's a criminal offense. To fact that there's 90% of all prisoners in Russia are there for drug offenses. Do I feel like, um, you know, they could have planted another gram on Brittany based on fact and based on the past? Yeah, that's possible. We just have to know the facts. And we don't right now.
1: And we're still waiting on those facts. Nola, what's your take on the team owner? It really depends
8: on what the greatest incentive for that oligarch is. Is the best choice to perhaps partner with the the U.S. to perhaps resolve the situation? Or is it not in his best interest to do that? It really does depend on what his opportunity costs are, you know, what's the best opportunity and what's the cost associated with with those opportunities.
5: Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level.
0: Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. it's like having a personalized
3: superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips.
5: So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash crime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.
1: Waiting continues because the investigation is going to be extended until May. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Coming up, Haiti in turmoil, our discussion about the aftermath within the Caribbean nation. That's up next. va tomber le
7: bois
10: n'a
1: That is a small part of the unrest facing Haitians as the odyssey within the country is unfolding in real time. A growing number of Haitians are fleeing their homeland in the middle of this humanitarian crisis. After President Jovenel Moïse was assassinated, conditions got worse. Gang-related violence, kidnappings, political instability, corruption, the aftermath of deadly earthquakes which still linger, along with unemployment, poverty, and devastation. So what is the state of the country now? Joining me to discuss the ongoing turmoil in Haiti are immigration lawyer Lana Joseph and Lionel Moise, Emmy Award-winning news anchor, host, and correspondent. Thank you both for joining us. Lionel, are we any closer to understanding who is responsible for killing Haiti President Jovenel Moise?
5: Unfortunately, we're not really much closer to where we were right after the assassination. It's been months since the president was assassinated, and there have been several issues with the investigation, including finding a judge to preside over this case. Two judges have already stepped down, one citing personal reasons, another was accused of corruption, which he denied. Uh, But this has been an ongoing issue. Uh, 40 people have been arrested since the assassination, including those ex-Colombian military members who their government say were deceived Uh, into taking part in this operation. And so there are so many different twists and turns and questions as to who is responsible, Whether this was an inside job or not that is hindering this investigation, not to mention that there are some in Haiti who do not even uh, believe in the legitimacy of the prime minister, Ariel Henry, who is overseeing this probe. And so there are ongoing issues, but unfortunately, we have no clue still who exactly is responsible.
1: What does this mean for the average person in Haiti who is seeking justice when? the president of Haiti, that ongoing investigation still doesn't have closure.
5: This is is a hard thing, and you know, I talked to my aunt who is in Haiti a lot about this. You have to recognize that Haitian police officers were also arrested as a part of this investigation. And so when you have the leader of your nation murdered in his home, Uh, and you're unsure who to trust. You know, do you trust the government at this time? You know, who are you leaning to for leadership in a moment like this, as the country is dealing with a number of other issues, you know, earthquakes, poverty, uh, gang violence. uh, It's like a ripple effect of all of these things on top of one another. And I feel like it's making it very difficult for people to feel safe and secure and to know who to look to for leadership when a leader is assassinated in this manner.
10: It is not safe to live in Haiti at all. I mean, imagine sitting at home with your families, eating dinner, and then bullets are flying. These are the things that people are dealing with in Haiti all day long. Imagine you going to work and not knowing if you're gonna come back home. Um, And you have young students going to school, not knowing if they're gonna come back home. They are being kidnapped, people are being killed, and the gangs are basically doing whatever that they wanna do, no one is there to protect the people in Haiti. So it is not safe for anyone, and even those who have not been attacked, they are traumatized because you're always on the alert. You can't trust anyone. You don't know if the person working next to you is not a bandit, is not a gang member that's going to kidnap you and ask astronomical amount of money for you to be released. And even when people are paying these kind of money, they are still killing them. So it's this
1: is the day-to-day life in Haiti. Talk to me about the risk of staying versus the risk of fleeing. It's either that they have safety in Haiti
10: or they risk it all. And that's exactly what young men and young women are doing coming to the United States. So yes, they are risking their lives, but they must do so because there's no other way. When you are a young man or young woman in your 20s, most of my clients right now, they're in their early 20s, graduated from high school, and you see in a lot of them, you have business owners, you have doctors, you have lawyers, you have people who could actually be part of the economy, be part of the government in Haiti, but yet they must flee because they are not safe. Young women, young men, Family members coming with babies, with little kids. And when I see a pregnant woman Mm. going through that journey and going through the desert, walking, not knowing, because even while they're going through the desert, they've also been kidnapped and raped, tortured. They have to experience all this. And they do understand that they they might not make it back in September when they saw the mass migrants of Haitians Mm. under the Texas Bridge, they came in into the United States. We saw the way they were treated, the inhuman conditions that they had to deal with, and many of them were expelled from the
1: United States to Haiti without giving due process. Lionel, within the last four months, the boat migration, the cases that we're seeing every three weeks that's happening. Tell us about, once those boats come into the Florida Keys, what are the migrants dealing with?
5: They are going to be sent home, and that is a flat-out policy that the United States has had. And I think it's important to note, you know, we just talked about the humanity of this. Haitians are risking their lives, taking this journey on these overcrowded boats to come here knowing that they very well could be sent back home just because there is a glimmer of hope that they could possibly create a new life. It's also important to note that Haitians are uh, not granted asylum in the same way that many other nationalities are. Recent AP analysis show that Haitians are only granted asylum uh, at 4.6%, the lowest rate of any nationality if you just look at 2018 to 2021. When you compare that to other nations like El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, Honduras, that can be from six to 14%. And so you look at the Texas border and you see all of those people who took that risk knowing that they very well would possibly be sent back. And so this is an ongoing issue. You know, we've had uh, different leaders, including the US special envoy to Haiti, resigning because of feeling that Haitians were treated inhumanely. A lot of those who were at the Texas border actually filed suit against the U.S. government for how they were treated. We saw those images of Customs and Border Patrol on horses. There are different stories as to what they were doing on those horses, but the images that we all saw uh, were very harsh. The the overall feeling of the Haitian people is that we are being treated substandard because of the color of our skin.
10: And and, and definitely, it makes a lot of sense because even as I'm representing clients from different nations, I can tell you that there is a big difference. Because I will have uh, two clients, exact mm. same claim. We went to and court. What, what's the only difference between
1: those two clients?
10: Just their color, coming from a different country. And I would actually get one of them released in two days. Wow. And for my black and brown Haitian clients and the Africans, we will be sending the same request the same day. It will take weeks Lots of phone calls,
1: lots of emails, talking to a supervisor. It takes so much more. The waiting game is a long time. It's a personal journey that I've seen, too. I'm an immigrant from Somalia, went through the refugee process as well. And that process of becoming a legal U.S. citizen is a long process. But that grace you talk about is something that is a huge conversation in the immigration community. Um, And I'm so glad that you brought it up. Tell me one thing specifically. When you're seeing the -the round-the-clock coverage in Ukraine for the refugees there versus the little coverage that we're seeing in Haiti. How do those two compare when you're seeing it? It's, I
10: mean, it's heartbreaking because I'm seeing what's happening in Ukraine and my heart aches for them. Mm. Because as a human being, no one should be put in that position. But at the same time, it's not just Ukraine that's fighting this. We've seen it on a daily basis in Haiti. Mm. And then we are so close to Haiti, but yet we close our eyes as if we don't understand. And we've seen this mass migration and so many has lost their lives. But yet it's as if
1: it doesn't touch us in any kind of ways. Lionel, what's your final word as we assess how severe the crisis is and where we go from here?
5: You know, I think we need to reevaluate what the American dream is. Think of how our country was founded, you know, by people from elsewhere who came here looking for a better life. And we cannot shut the door now that America is here and there are others who are making that same journey. And I think we just need to keep that in mind and and really Remember that we are all human and we are all one. And so the rhetoric, the prejudice that has been spewed by world leaders, even including here in the United States against Haitians.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
5: You know, saying that we're all responsible for AIDS, even in the middle of COVID, all, the, all these different things, they impact the way the decisions are made. And I think that we need to work on humanity uh, and, and bringing that humanity together, regardless of where you're from or what you look like, because the fight that we're fighting for the people of Haiti or the people of Ukraine that still is going to have an impact on other countries who will deal with similar situations, and it is very important for us to not forget our own history when we're looking at others who are trying to make a better life for themselves.
1: Lionel and Lana, thank you both so much. Coming up, our conversation about the absence of black male teachers. What's behind the declining numbers? That's up next.
0: Where you go, quit your babysitting gig, get yourself a real job. If you know who else can teach a first grader. Second grade. That's funny, sir. I actually um, applied to a few other principal jobs at other schools. I'm just waiting to hear back. Come do a real man's job. Time to grow up, Gregory. I will consider that, sir. I'll take it. (laughs) All right.
1: That's Tyler James Williams in the hit comedy, Abbott Elementary, which returns to ABC this week. Welcome back. Tonight we take a look at the nation's schools and who's not represented in our classrooms. Less than 2% of public school teachers are black men. It's a staggering number that the American education system has grappled with for generations. So what's keeping black men out of the classroom? That's the question we're asking as we investigate the absence of black male teachers.
11: First few years of my schooling, um, blackness was centered and radically so. And the last, shoot, 20 years of my education, you see this sort of violent, sort of extraction, this violent separation for all cultures that aren't white. And I started to feel like I wasn't smart, I wasn't intelligent.
1: For Amir Davis, tackling inequity in public schools means changing the face of education.
11: The expectation is that we do not go into, especially if you're a black male, you know that option to pivot away from education um, was always there and I just blindly ignored it because I knew once I got into the classroom and I taught and I saw the impact I was having on my students, I knew that's what I was designed to do.
1: But in 2019, Davis walked away from his calling frustrated by a system resistant to change.
11: I saw that no matter how hard I worked and the good that I felt I can do inside of my classroom, that there was this sort of system that I had to exist in that was um, in my mind noticeably and um, arrogantly ignoring the plight of my students. and. Um, I knew there was something more that I wanted to do outside of the classroom.
1: And he's not alone. Last year, nearly 50% of black teachers said they plan to leave their jobs at the end of the term, double the national average. And today, black men make up less than 2% of public school teachers. Scholars say the lack of Black men in front of the Blackboard can be traced back to the Supreme Court decision to integrate America's schools. Georgia Tech professor, Dr. Joycelyn Wilson.
6: One of the things that took place during Brown versus Board of Education when Black teachers and Black leadership was removed from the schools and replaced with white teachers and white leadership, this notion that Black schools under the era of segregation were a bad thing is really just, that's just wholly inaccurate. The schools was just the place that were, that was used to exemplify the need to get rid of racial discrimination and segregation. So to desegregate is literally to eliminate any type of systemic racism, institutionalized racism, any type of um, discrimination based on race in these public schools. That's what desegregation is. Integration is literally bringing the races together in one space to learn together. Back to those unintended consequences, one of them was the anti-black curriculum. The curriculum was not desegregated. The curriculum was not integrated. That is where we have to continue to do the work to make sure that the work that has been done around culturally relevant, culturally resilient teaching, we have to continue to make sure that that is not dismantled.
1: Its work, Amir Davis continues as Director of Black Male Engagement at the Center for Black Educator Development. He's using his experience to reshape the culture within
0: schools.
11: We want to be known for our achievement and our skill, uh, amongst other things. But when you see us, you see us. The most successful Black, uh, black male teachers are those that have a network of folks who have shared experiences, Shared aspirations and can push one another to uh, to persist in this profession.
1: Joining us now, we have 2019 National Teacher of the Year, Rodney Big Rob Robinson, an educator with over a decade of experience in the classroom, who is currently senior advisor at Richmond Public Schools and. Andre Jackson, an assistant principal at Miami Central Senior High School and former site director with the 5,000 Role Models of Excellence Mentoring Program. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Again, just 2% of public school educators are black men. This statistic is shocking but not new. Rodney, can we talk about how the history of public education plays into where we are today, looking at that statistic in 2022?
9: Oh, thank you. Um, looking at that statistic, you have to really go back to Brown versus Board of Education. One of the unintended consequences is when the two school systems merged, 60,000 Black teachers were fired, demoted, or just simply given jobs or menial tasks. And what happened because of that is that Black students began to see that school wasn't for them. They didn't have role models in front of them in the classroom. They began to be over-disciplined, over-policed, under-educated, had lower expectations, and Black students began to hate school because they didn't see themselves reflected in the people in their school building. There's never been an intentional effort to say, we want Black teachers or we need Black teachers. And until America tends to pay that debt that is owed, we won't have that. How do we
1: change that 2%, raise it up to three, raise it up to four? I mean, what are the incremental steps we can take as a society to make improvements?
0: Okay, so I'll jump in. It has to become a priority. Black male educators must become a priority. So what is our goal? We have to ask ourselves that, that question. And we all have to be aligned in terms of society and what we're trying to do, right? So I think education right now, we're at a point where we need revolutionary change, revolutionary change. I think we're facilitating evolutionary change, which is just a level of continuous improvement. It has to be a targeted focus. Where we're targeting black male educators, being a teacher is not really a conversation that was held in my household. You know, and I don't think it's a conversation that's held in households in in terms of the value of education.
9: We need to be intentional. Like you said, we need to be intentional in our goals. We need to start recruiting young black boys at a young age and tell them they can be teachers. You know, I saw a list of, that had the top 100 fifth graders in basketball. Why can't we have the top 100 elementary school kids who want to be teachers? You know, let's be intentional about what we do. Let's, let's expose them to what they can be. What does revolutionary change look like? Uh, revolutionary change looks like diversity. You know, the reality is so many people are benefiting from our current system. And until we get more voices at the top of the system who have all been the ones who've been traumatized and hurt by it, then we can get those people in the rooms to make some decisions. Then we can have significant change in education. Far too many people don't see anything wrong with our system because it benefits the majority. And so we need to start with, just like you said, creating better experiences for black boys, for black girls in our school system so that they can see it as a place for a career and not a place of trauma.
1: When we look at recruitment, uh, when we look at retention, when we look at increasing these numbers, how does the culture within public schools hurt recruiting and retaining black men? Andre?
0: Well, number one, that's a loaded question and I think it's a lot (laughs) more impact in terms of how the culture can kind of push black men away. It, there has to be a safe space for uh, for black men. I think oftentimes we- If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada up, At participating McDonald's. Get caught up in a one-size-fits-all fit type of approach to our instruction. Um And that one size fits all does not necessarily always uh, benefit uh, black male instructors. But I think obvious, the number one thing that comes to mind, especially in 2022, is the pay. The pay of educators across the nation is suffering drastically. So we're in a position right now where The economy has outpaced the profession.
1: Is it simply a matter of offering higher salaries, offering, you know, different programs at a federal level? Rodney, do you want to talk to me about how the nation can address that from a financial standpoint?
9: Well, yeah, there are several things the federal government can do. For one thing, all the funding in the American Recovery Act should be just the minimum level of funding you give the public schools every year. It shouldn't be just a... One or two year bonus for districts to add on. Every school every year should get that level of funding. But then also, the federal government needs to create programs. It goes back to that word intentional. What are we doing to support our HBCUs? Are we creating alternative routes to licensure to help Black folks that have degrees that want to get an education? And are we forgiving student loans? I think that's a bigger issue. So many, we know that so many Black people have taken on extraordinary amounts of student loans. In the college. And when you talk about education, even the Wall Street Journal says it's just not a smart move to go into education with the amount of student loans people are taking out. So the federal government needs to come in on the front end and provide scholarships, go to high school levels, provide dual enrollment mentoring programs to get kids involved in education. It requires a whole scale effort. You know, after World War II, the United States created the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe. I think we need a Marshall Plan for education. And part of that plan is a specific role in increasing the number of black teachers and also increasing the number of brown teachers. You know, our Hispanic population is growing and they have even lower numbers of teachers. And so we really need the federal government to take a all hands on deck approach and to making sure we have, have teachers who look like our students. Because right now that is definitely not the case.
1: Rodney, Andre, thank you both for being with us today, sharing your experiences and really shining a light on this 2% and how we can find solutions in society. We'll be right back with our entertainment remix. Keep it right here.
4: Welcome back, everyone. Let's kick things off with more Chestnut getting his Hollywood flowers as we count down to Oscar weekend. But first, Atlanta's global return tops this week's entertainment remix.
8: The premiere of Atlanta in
4: Atlanta. What's so special about this city? I mean, Atlanta! black girl magic for making the band three castmate jasmine burke who was among those talking to the red carpet for a special screening to celebrate season three of the fx hit atlanta
10: i've been waiting on this to come back out for so long i love this show and even though i represented Cobb county they said it's not atlanta but it's so amazing to be here and to be, you know, with Atlanteans, you know, and we're tra- we're we are a transient city. We have so many people come here from all over Atlanta. I heard about the show, I haven't had the time to actually see it. So this is me getting away,
6: breathing, and being able to actually see the show.
11: Hello. Whoa.
10: Baudan. Hey. Baud.
4: And while the cast wasn't able to join, the fans were ravenous for this season, which takes us through Europe, where the guys experience a whole different kind of reception, as Paperboy takes his tour overseas.
5: We should probably get going, it's getting a bit intense.
4: The perfect summation from Representative Erica Thomas, who told me about the magic of the city.
10: to celebrate when we have a a show called Atlanta. Your Majesty, may I present
4: Miss Kate Sharma and Edwina Sharma. Netflix series Bridgerton is back for season two and is trending hard. The Shonda Rhimes take on royalty gets some flavor and a bit more color.
1: Come now, it is not proper to
4: stand. I hope you find somebody more toxic. I go through way more arguments than we did you go through way more arguments than needed. Tory Lanez is getting traction with his new track, "Taken Care, which is as the he said, she said back and forth with Megan The Stallion is heating up after he tweeted, quote, protect Black men. Ain't the only one trying to be my one and Meg has accused Tory Lanez of shooting her in the foot back in 2020. The TMZ video has been everywhere. In response, she clapped back at Twitter users questioning her allegation. Meg urged people to do their research and to believe survivors after Tory's tweet went viral. Meg and Tory are scheduled to face off in court for a pretrial hearing in April.
0: On behalf of the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, we now declare today Morris Chestnut Day in Hollywood, everyone.
4: A huge Hollywood moment for Morris Chestnut, who received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I think I'd be
0: a great fit. Well, if you keep that passion, you might make the cut.
4: Morris, who stars in the Fox drama Our Kind of People, was overwhelmed by the support from his family and his Hollywood pals, including actor comedian Chris Spencer, whose tributes on the boulevard added humility to the day.
3: How can we make sure that this show feels like a show that's for everybody? This show feels like a show that is very inclusive. And I'm very proud of what we're going to do in the show, what we're going to do around the show to signal to folks that this is something for all.
4: That's the promise from producer and filmmaker Will Packer, who's charged with producing the 94th Academy Awards. And Packer is punching things up this year with a mosaic of performers and presenters i can't
3: control the level of diversity and inclusion that you see on the show and that's something that's really really important
4: ladies are you ready to host the oscars with a trio of hosts including regina hall and wanda sykes will's diversity plan includes beyonce performing be alive her oscar nominated best original song from king richard
9: i a dream, so I'm happy to be here.
4: Among the presenters this year, our own chairman, Sean Diddy Combs and Halle Berry, take the stage alongside Tiffany Haddish and Tyler Perry. And I will be in the audience for movie's biggest night. Question is, will Beyonce sing? I'll have all the tea in the Kennedy Chronicles next week. Well, my big question is, do
1: you have your gown picked out? Oh, Naima, no, but fingers crossed that it all works out by show day. Either way, you're going to look good, sis. We'll be right back with our revolutionary of the week. That's up next.
7: A little black girl like myself at that time, you know, definitely was like, I'm never getting into NASCAR. It wasn't even a thought in my mind. Welcome back. That is
1: NASCAR's Brianna Daniels, who's in the history books as NASCAR's first black female tire changer, which makes her our revolutionary of the week. She's only 27
4: years old and joined NASCAR in 2016 as part of the organization's Drive for Diversity program. At the time, Daniels was the only woman in a group of men trying out for one of the coveted spots on a NASCAR pit crew team. There are now at least three women serving on a pit. Here's how Brianna described the experience.
7: I was the only girl that tried out. Definitely kicked the guys' butts I was going against. <laughs> but then like a few weeks later, I got invited back to the National Combine, and there was uh, even more people there. I ended up placing in the top 10 spot to, you know, solidify that position to come back and train and be a professional tire changer. <laughs> I wanted to try something new, and I'm, I'm glad I opened myself up to it because it's still growing on me. I like love it now, I mean, (laughs) it's crazy.
1: The diversity program aims to recruit and train minority and female race car drivers as well as pit crew members. Now the program started in 2004 and now there are more than 50 graduates of the pit crew member division now working for the organization, an experience that has changed Brianna's life.
7: Nobody in my family was NASCAR fans, we did not watch NASCAR. The only time we watched NASCAR was for a second where we were looking for like a basketball or (laughs) football game, I mean it didn't get Was nothing more than that. Me being a tire changer and uh, playing basketball I was a point guard and a shooting guard. Especially being a point guard, I was um, you know I had to have that hand-eye coordination. I have to have that same hand-eye coordination. You know being a tire changer, it's kind of a finesse position. You know, you no, know, I gotta <laughs> have the handles in another way. It all ties in together warms my heart, you know, to see that, you know, times are changing and that I'm just glad to be a part of that change, you know.
4: So as we celebrate Women's History Month, we also rev
1: it up for Brianna. Job well done, Brianna. And that does it for us. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Bye.